If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 542. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. But if you're over there, you're already getting, if you're listening to this podcast in November of 2021, you're already getting some Black Friday deals. So you want to get over, enroll at McClanahan Academy, free of charge to do so. Get the free class, 10 Myths of American History, and then get great deals, right? So you're already getting the deals if you're on that email list. Also, if you give me that email list at brianmcclanahan.com and get that free ebook, Forgotten Founders, you're going to get my emails there, and you do get deals and other things there as well. So it's a great way for me to keep in touch with you. You can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can buy a book plate if you want my autograph of one of my books. Those make great Christmas gifts. You can also uh, throw a few pennies my way. You can contribute to the show at anchor.fm if you want to. Just do a search for Brian McClanahan Show there. All kinds of ways to support the show. Also, click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's how we grow this show. And look, this is we're going to start this week with the election from last week, right? So we had election Tuesday last week. Uh, and November 2nd, it was... If you listen to the pundits on television, just an earth-shattering event, right? We have this vast right wing that's now taken over Virginia by 51%. I would caution people not to be too optimistic about that part of it, but there are some things I am optimistic about in this particular election. And these are things that people have sent me and things that I've seen as well. But I, I am going to talk about the Youngkin election, and I am going to talk about what happened there. I'm going to do it by focusing on a piece that appeared in the American Conservatives um, after the election. But first, what am I encouraged about with this particular election? Well, several things. Number one, I saw a lot of people talking about school board elections. And in one particular case, there was a, a social media post where somebody had said there was a school board there in Virginia. I think it was Montgomery County, actually, in Virginia, where... All the people were booted out that were on the board. And so you had what they're calling Trump conservatives take over the school board. You had other people saying, I ran for local office because this is what I thought I could do to try to get into things. To make a difference. I've had people contact me all the time about their efforts at the local level to try to make a difference. This is where you make a difference. This is, the, this is where the podcast has gone since I started this show Five years ago, I've been talking about thinking locally and acting locally for a long time. And this is the fruit of that. Now, of course, I'm not responsible for all this stuff. I don't, don't get me wrong. 
But I think people are starting to wake up, and I don't care who gets the credit for it. I don't care what happens. Think locally, act locally is the way forward. If we want to change America, it has to start from the bottom up. And I'm going to talk a lot about elections this week. Uh, this is We're going to talk about the, the November 2nd election. We're going to talk about democracy. We're going to talk about some historical antecedents here and look at a real political revolution of 1800. Somebody asked me about that through a, a listener-generated episode. So there's a lot of great things we're going to do this week. So I'm encouraged about these local elections. I'm also encouraged in Virginia there were three ballot initiatives where Confederate monuments were on the ballot. Do you want to leave these monuments up? And you know what? I think it was close to 70% in each one. The opinion was, yes, keep the monument up. 70%. You see, there's a lot going on here in Virginia. Now, again, don't be too encouraged about the block that shifted from the left to supposedly the right in this particular election. I'm going to talk about that. It wasn't this red wave that people think is coming. Now, I think it is important to note that Biden won Virginia by 10 points in 2020, supposedly, and then lost, it was a 12-point swing, and then lost it by about two points in 2021. And the fact that the New Jersey race is so close, and we still, still hasn't been called yet as I'm recording this podcast, still has not been called, looks like the Democrat incumbent is going to win, Murphy is going to win that re-election. But the fact that Biden won that state by 16 points, allegedly, uh, is a big deal that the Republican was that close. Also in Virginia, remember that the Republicans won down ballot. They won uh, at the for the legislature as well. They took the House back, the House of Delegates in Virginia. So they won the Attorney General position. They won, of course, Lieutenant Governor. All of that is a big deal, and I think it does show that if we're continuing this trend, and, and, and if the left keeps doubling down, which they're doing, they're saying, well, look, it's not. This is not a repudiation of our positions. This is just because uh, we've got a bunch of nasty white supremacists in Virginia, which is a laughable position to begin with. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, that we're. This is why we lost. We're going to double down. We're going to go climate agenda. We're going to do whatever we're going to do. Right, voting right. Whatever it is that they think they have to do, they have a mandate for because Joe Biden supposedly won in a landslide in 2020. I think there's a lot of takeaways from this particular election, and I think that's why I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about democracy and voting and other things. One of the things I think that this election showed was that when you have a normal election, which the Virginia election was normal this year, it wasn't normal in 2020. We had an abnormal election in 2020. The Democrats and their ideas can't win. This is something I've talked about a little bit. The Democrats and the progressive left have to win by the courts. This is where they have to really win. They have to win in the courts. And they have to win with unelected individuals, unelected officials. This is the people that will lead them to victory. They openly say it. But the only way the progressive agenda ever gets implemented is through the courts. I talked about that last week when I when I mentioned the progressive legal loons. I mean, this is what they want. They want the courts to enforce their will because when it comes to voting... Generally, they lose, right? So we know that they've had a Democrat governor, and we know they've had a Democrat legislature in Virginia, and we've seen what happened with that. I mean, look, if the legislature had somehow been Republican, we probably wouldn't have had any legislation allowing the state to take down any Confederate monuments. I say probably because we can't say definitively that would have happened. I can almost guarantee you that Youngkin's not going to do anything about it. 
that the Republicans in the legislature now aren't going to do anything about it at this point. I mean, it's over with. They could pass a new bill uh, trying to protect these things again, but many of them have already been taken down, so what's the point? I don't think they'd ever have the guts to say, put them back up. That wouldn't happen. Uh, so uh, this is an interesting situation, right? So they, But I think they overplayed their hand. And I think they overplayed their hand in this particular way. If you look at the shift and where the shift took place, it was generally college-educated white women shifted from supporting Biden or the Democrats to supporting Youngkin, who isn't really that much different from Biden and the Democrats, Okay, <laughs> first of all. But they shifted there, and it was because of school boards. It was because of, quote-unquote, education. Now, what they were uncomfortable with is having is having the left call them racist. I mean, this this is the issue. You see, they're okay if there's a boogeyman out there, if it's John C. Calhoun, if it's Robert E. Lee, if it's all of that. They're going to be on board with it. Take all that stuff down because that was these people, not me. What they're uncomfortable with is this blanket assertion that critical race theory and critical theory relies on. Critical theory is the basis of critical race theory. Of course, critical theory has a victim and oppressor mentality, right? So there's always a victim with a capital V, and there's always an oppressor. And of course, in that particular situation, the United States, all, oftentimes it's been race, it's been a defining characteristic of victim and oppressor in the United States. And so because of that, the position has been made that because of race, there's always going to be victim and oppressor. And so these middle-class suburban voters are uncomfortable with people calling them these bad terms. And so, therefore, as long as it's somebody else that gets called these terms, they're okay with it. But if they're called these things, well, then they're going to vote against it. And I think, so this is where the Democrats overplayed their hand. They thought that they could win by simply moving this message. And, uh, and of course, McAuliffe was out there saying things like, you know, we've got an issue in, in Virginia. We've got 80% teachers that are white and 50% of the students are non-white. So we need to have this, this uh, racial... Uh, disparity needs to be corrected in our education system in terms of the teachers, right? So the, the laser beam focus on race because what he's implying there, of course, is that everyday Virginians are racist. And this is where people buckled. They said, we're not going to tolerate that. And generally a block of people in Virginia switched from one side to another because they were uncomfortable with being called bad names. I mean, this is it. They, they voted the people out that called them bad names. I've said on this show, though, before, and I've said, it, I've said it many times, and I've said it since 2015, they're not going to stop. They're not just going to focus on John C. Calhoun as the epitome of evil. They're going to call you evil. If you take down a Confederate monument, what they're saying is that that Confederate guy was evil, but really, if you support him, if that's your blood, he's in your blood, you're evil because simply you're related to that guy, and he's your ancestor. That's it. I mean, this is what they're saying in all of this. So there was a block of people in Virginia that rejected that, and rightly so, right? I mean, this, this is idiotic. The entire position that because these people were racist, then you're racist. I mean, it's so stupid. But this is what's going on. Now, caution, though, is due here, right? We have to understand, and I've said this before, the Republican Party still is the stupid party. Yeah, they won in Virginia. And they won because they essentially were handed the election because you've got Merrick Garland running out and saying that school board uh, moms and soccer moms are terrorists, domestic terrorists, because 
They, uh, because they don't want their kids to have to wear masks in school or they don't want uh, to be called, they don't want their kids to be told that they're racist because of who they are, because of their race, right? Just because they're born one way, they're racist automatically. I mean, this is what they don't want. They don't want that taught in school, right? And this is what is being taught in school, by the way. And we've seen it because we've seen teachers melt down and do all kinds of things. This is what's happening. They didn't want that stuff anymore. They wanted it gone. They wanted it out of the way. They wanted all, they want all that to go away. They don't mind talking about issues that are sensitive. And I think most people don't mind that, right? We, we have a discussion about these things. But what they don't want is essentially a situation of uh, you're being uh, generalized because of your race. And this is exactly what they would say, and this is their argument. Of course, the Civil Rights Movement was against that. So, uh, But I digress on that. What we're looking at here, though, was not really a win for uh, the social conservatives. Youngkin is not that. But it does show that these issues are important. I think people are correct about that. Education is important. The woke agenda, as I talked about before, might be on the way out. I mean, people are really starting to bristle at this thing. They don't like it. They don't want it in their face all the time. They don't want to be told that they're bad, that they're evil. They're okay, again, calling some people that way, but not them. So if you do that, you're overplaying your hand. And I think the left is certainly overplaying their hand. So let me let me get into this piece uh, by Matthew Walther at the American Conservative. He says, don't be too happy Glenn Youngkin won. He says, the Virginia result gives false hope to social conservatives who should remain delusioned about a post-political, indeed post-social economic order. On Tuesday evening, a man, who won, a man won an election in a place that does not exist. The man who had previously been the CEO of a company that does nothing was elected governor of nowhere after promising to do something about issues he could neither define nor describe. If the above summary is slightly unfair to the achievement of Glenn Youngkin, to the no doubt jolly and life-enhancing work in private equity and consulting done by his former employer, the Carlisle Group, and to his place of residence in Northern Virginia, where McMansions and fake brick veneered apartment complexes and shopping centers seem to emerge spontaneously from the earth like the spacious wound out of which the mansions of hell arise in Milton, take comfort. Youngkin has already earned more than his fair share of praise from conservatives, both here and abroad, some of it fairly cringe-inducing. So he's right about some things. Look, Northern Virginia is not a place anymore. It was. I mean, this is, this is where I was born. At one time, it was, even in the 1970s, maybe even to the 1980s, it was still a place. It still had an identity. It doesn't anymore. It's just a place where people come and live to go work in Washington, D.C., and then leave. And this is something that Casey Chalk has written about quite a lot at the American Conservative, at the Abbeville Institute. He's from that area, and he writes about it, and he's 100% correct about this. Uh, it is a no place. And, of course, his equity firm, I mean, what does it actually do? I mean, Walther is right about that. What do these people actually do? He says, if I had my druthers, we would not overdetermine the consequences of this election. The opposition besting the president's party in the first midterm contest is not exactly a world historic first. And this is true, right? I mean, the president's approval ratings are in the tank. He's awful. Everyone knew it. 
And this is why I say that, you know, when I, when I talk about the 2020 election, and we're going to get into voting this week, uh, how there's the alleged things. And I think that uh, Chronicles magazine, Ed Welsh at Chronicles, actually did a very good job of pointing out, you know, it's not necessarily out of the realm. It's not conspiracy theory stuff to say there's some things that are a little suspicious in this last election that we should look at and say, you know, that may not have been exactly accurate. Right? It's not, it's not a conspiracy theory to say that. That there were some things that went on, and because of the nature of that election, because of all the mail-in voting, because of all the early voting, all the things that happened because of election officials, not legislatures or even governors, but appointed individuals overriding the will of the legislatures, which is frankly illegal, but... Because of all of that, we had a very strange 2020 election. And it's not too far out of the realm of possibility to say, you know what, there probably was some cheating that went on in that election. How much? You're never going to be able to put your finger on. I talked about this with the 1960 election, when certainly Richard Nixon, I think, almost had it. I mean, it was known that there was cheating in 1960. That Lyndon Johnson and John F. Kennedy only won because of cheating. But Nixon tried to prove it. He sent out teams of lawyers into Chicago where we know dead people were voting. They sent teams of lawyers into Texas where Landslide Lyndon somehow, this is, this is the story about Landslide Lyndon. Landslide Lyndon Johnson was only called that because he was able to quote-unquote find votes when he needed them, right, at the last minute and win in a very close majority. Read, read Robert Cairo on this. It's so good. He just completely opens up uh, on Johnson and exposes the fact that he's a fraud, right? So that election was probably stolen in 1960, but Nixon could never prove it. There wasn't enough evidence. And I think this is where, and, and Welsh gets into this, he says, well, there's, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here. And some of it might even be harder than others in terms of evidence. But to actually say conclusively that Trump won the election would be hard to do, right? In a court of law, it would be hard to do. But we know there's a lot of things out there, and you scratch your head and say, eh, I don't know. So we had a real election in 2021. What happens? Well, the Democrat loses. I think that is something that people are going to take away from this, and it's going to be a lesson. you got to have voter integrity. We'll talk about that again this, this week. But it is true that a poor president, poor, uh, poorly performing president, is going to have an impact and that the midterms are almost always going to swing back the other way. Look, I think it's not without the realm of possibility that the Republicans take back the House of Representatives and the Senate in 2022, that the Democrats are going to be out the door. And so they're going to, this is where they're really going to try to ram through their agenda. I think it's clear this is what they're going to do. But uh, this happened in 94, right? And so we had this Republican revolution in 94. Could we see something like that again? Potentially, of course, that Republican revolution of 94 really did nothing. It did nothing. This is what people don't realize. The contract with America was impotent. It did nothing. And what we got is more federal power, more federal spending, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So Walter continues, but since everyone seems to insist that we have to talk about it in grand sweeping terms, I will take a shot at explaining why. Apart from the bare fact of enjoying a loss for the Clintons as much as the next right-of-center take worker, I'm not optimistic, much less enthusiastic, about Youngkin. I will resist the temptation to make any jokes about the similarity of a surname to a brand of Chinese malware dolls. 
Over and over again, we have been told that Youngkin won because he promised to ban something called critical race theory, or CRT. Prescinding from the difficult question of what CRT means to its opponents, I'm not convinced that it functions as anything except shorthand for the basic assumptions that make up the worldview of most educated Americans, including Youngkin. I find myself asking what this ban is supposed to look like. Could it be an executive order, or one that would be immediately subject to any number of likely successful legal challenges? Could it be a piece of legislation that, in the unlikely event it passes in the State House, would also be taken hostage by the courts, perhaps for years at a time? No one knows, and what's more, no one seems to care. A victory of these kind of proportions was declared more than 36 hours ago by television pundits, political consultants, and a handful of intelligent writers who should know better. My skepticism about what, if anything, Youngkin will be to accomplish does not exhaust my concerns. In fact, I am less interested in the question of what he might do in office than I am about what his victory tells us about the prospects for social conservatism under even the most favorable political conditions, i.e. an unpopular president, a laughably bad Erstas incumbent, etc. Never mind the prevailing narratives. Youngkin won not because Virginia is full of closeted social conservatives. He pointedly refused to discuss abortion, for example, but because the kind of affluent suburban voters who supported Joe Biden in 2020 decided to fire the help. This is what I said at the beginning. Why did they fire the help? Because the help called them racist. This is what they didn't want, right? So the people they elected, they were calling everybody else racist, but now when you call me that, well, you're going to be fired. So this is important. I think the the Democrats aren't going to care. They're going to keep up with the progressives. They're just going to keep up with their message. So, but I don't, and this is where you get back to Lind and some of the others about this managerial state, right? Sam Francis, for example. I mean, the, 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 the progenitor of this idea of the managerial state. This is where you get into this. After nearly two years of putting up with suspicious-sounding medical excuses from caretakers, they were fed up with the teachers' unions, whom they had put in charge of babysitting their children while they pursued dual incomes and ordered takeout. Education was indeed a dog whistle in this race, not for white supremacy, but for Karen's impatience with her de facto employees, whose job to keep help keep uh, Dylan and Heather occupied until they are old enough to start getting high test scores and applying to college. Meanwhile, all the talk about opposition to CRT papers over the question of what exactly the voters who made the difference in a Virginia's election oppose. To the extent that the critical race theory discussed over the course of the campaign bears any resemblance to the already loosely defined academic discipline of the same name, it is difficult not to imagine that the objection was not to anything specific in its contents, but rather to the fact that it presents any kind of structural critique of American society at all. Again, they just didn't like what they were being called. They have the same, I think, I think Walter's right here, they have the same worldview. I mean, they don't disagree with these things. They just don't want to be called names. So they're going to try to stop being called names while they still pursue the same agenda. I mean, essentially, this is what happens. The idea that undergirding the self-satisfied consumerism of life in our uh, meritocratic suburbs, there is something essentially rotten. Indeed, sinful that the present order has been made possible by means of some unspeakable and ancient uh, privation, and that one day there will be a reckoning of sorts, not only for individuals, but for the world itself. That much of what we have done and built will be rejected as false and damnable. Now, again, 
that they were not, they didn't like saying, having someone tell them that everything they got was ill-gotten gains, right? This is something that they just got because of who they are. And there was some type of undertone here that nothing that they did, they achieved on their own. It was all somebody else did it for them. They don't like being called the oppressors. You see, this is, this is the point. They just don't want to be called that. They still believe in the proposition nation. They still believe in all that stuff. What they don't understand, and I've said it before, is that that leads to the other. So, <laughs> you can run around saying that you believe in these things all you want, and then, of course, it's going to lead to the other. It's easy to see why a traditionally religious, religiously inflected social conservatism rejects this kind of thinking. Is after all parody and not a very sophisticated one of the Christian account of the cosmos. But for suburban cultural conservatives and their barstool kin, the same objections. How dare you suggest that any of us are or will be subject to judgment? Have we not earned higher than median scores on standardized tests? Do we not have dogs from shelters? Would apply to the real thing. Again, he's missing the point. They're being criticized. He's saying it, but he's not really saying it. They're being criticized. They're being called names. And they don't want to hear it. So they're going to fire the people to call them the names while they still believe in the things that got them called the names. I think he's right about this. It is a basic notion that any aspect of their lifestyle should be subject to criticism and the horror of the idea that their whims and preferences should take the backseat to any other consideration, sordid or otherwise, that animates opposition to CRT, not a sober rejection of a specific set of texts or ideas. Besides, even if the suburban opposition to CRT amounted to anything loftier than they should not tell us too much what to do, it would still be a hopelessly inadequate and almost painfully over-selective response to a problem that is not in any meaningful sense discreet. Fashionable academic tosh, much of it half understood at best by the illiterate daycare workers we amusingly refer to as teachers, exists among a continuum of structures, institutions, practices, assumptions, and attitudes that together make up the life of our professional classes. A depraved social order made possible by hormonal contraception, abortion, spoilation of the environment, wage theft, and many other evils, one which neither Youngkin nor his supporters meaningfully oppose or even question. In fact, one could say without hesitating that they are not even aware of it. Much as the conservatives who once cheered on Hobby Lobby and its legal battles did not see the futility of taking comfort in a small actual victory for a seller of Chinese plastic knickknacks. All of which is to say that for social conservatives, the election of Youngkin isn't a victory. It isn't even a holding pattern. Like all of our elections, it is at best a particularly multimedia event, a chance to indulge in some schattenfrude, for example, at the expense of progressive commentators are arguing with a straight face that the first black woman to hold statewide office in Virginia is a white supremacist, a live-action role-playing game. And I fear that among many other things, it could have the unintended consequence of giving false hope to those who should remain disillusioned about the reality of life in a post-political, indeed post-social economic order, with its attendant false anthropology, ethics, and so on. We are not one iota closer to bring an end to these things than we were on Monday. When that end does come, in the fullness of time, it will not be because of a, a main character who wins awards like this one, beat Terry McAuliffe. And he talks about a an award that was given for a very left-wing cause. Then Youngkin won that award in Virginia. So I, I think Walter's onto something here. He doesn't he doesn't come out and say, but look, people don't want to be called names. 
this is the thing with the NFL and all these. They don't they don't want the the athletes to kneel because that makes them feel bad about it, right? So they're okay with it as long as they're pointing to somebody else. But when you turn the attention back on them that they're the real problem, well, then they're going to bristle at this. This is where Colin Kaepernick overplayed his hand. This is where the left is overplaying their hand. The boogeyman's okay for the neoconservatives, the Straussians, as long as it's John C. Calhoun, as long as it's Robert E. Lee. You take, you deflect it off onto something else. That's not me. That's them. And, of course, then you create some, some other, the deplorables, the people that support that monument, the people that support uh, or, you know, want the monument to stay up. You make it about them and not about you, and so you turn the vitriol on them. But in reality, the left, what, what's really exposed about this, when the left won, they showed you what they were, and that is they're going to blame everybody for it. So you got to stop it. This is why I've said from the beginning, it's no shut up. You don't even let, you don't even give them an inch. All these people have, have done their own undermining, right? They've, they've undermined themselves, and the neoconservatives and the Straussians have been certainly part of this. They've undermined themselves. Because really what they want is exactly what the left wants, just slower. But they don't want their kids being told that they're bad people in school. They can learn that later in college, I guess, when they get there. So this is an interesting election. I'm more encouraged by people actually getting out and and voting and, and winning in school board elections. I mean, that's a big deal. Or these uh, referendums on Confederate monuments in counties. Because, again, people don't want these things to come down. The overwhelming support is there to keep them up. But the fact is that you have the courts now getting involved in a slim majority in Virginia. And look, this majority, Youngkin majority, is still very slim. Very slim. And these suburban moms can go one way or the other. Who knows what they're going to do next? Is Virginia going to stay, quote-unquote, red, or is it not? I don't know. I can't predict that. But we do know that some of these things are unpopular. It is unpopular. These positions of the left are unpopular. Wokeism is really unpopular. Nobody really likes it, or at least, I mean, say nobody. The vast majority of the American public doesn't like it. They don't want it. Even young people, they're, they're bristling at it. And I, you know, it's interesting, of course, I teach young people all the time, and they just want to be talked to like adults. They just they just want that. And, I mean, they all get to me, and they've got some some really uh, strong views on some of these things because they're told it in school. But they don't really think about it. They're just regurgitating what they've been told. And when they actually start thinking about things, then they... They're, they tend to have an open mind. They think, oh, well, I didn't really look at it like that, or I didn't, I didn't think of it like this. They tend to have an open mind. So, the election, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We're probably going to see, and they're going to call it a red wave. We're going to see all of that in 2022. I think that the, the uh, Republicans are going to be booted, or I'm sorry, the Democrats are going to be booted out of, of power in the Congress. We're going to see more of this across the state level, too. But my thing is, don't get complacent here. If you really are interested in think locally, act locally, get out in that school board, run for city council, run for county commissioner, do those things. And the thing that I would just implore anyone is if you're in these positions, try to get off the federal cash drip. That's the important part. you got to break the cycle of dependency on the federal government for your money. That's the only way to real political independence in the future. All right. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs>